today is John Mastany. The day according to the lunar calendar when the one supreme God, the absolute truth, the cause of all causes, the supreme personality of Godhead appeared within this world as Krishna. Krishna spoke Bhagavad Gita and he told the reasons for his descent into this temporary, ever-changing world. Paritranaya sadhunam vinashaya chaduskritam dharma samstapanaradaya sambhavami shuke shuke. For the purpose of annihilating ignorance, protecting the pious, and reestablishing the true principles of religion, Sanatan Dharma, I descend within, to the, within this world again and again. I remember in my own life when I was seeking a spiritual purpose, I found so much beauty in many of the world's spiritual paths. But also there were ele elements in all of them that claimed very strongly an exclusivity to entrance into God's realm and grace. And that made it really difficult for me to select one. It appeared like if you select one, you're contradicting and opposing others. Mm -hmm. But once in my travels, I was in a very holy place. It's called Kurukshetra. Please raise your hand if you have been to Kurukshetra. <clears throat> There, on the banks of a lake called Jyotisar, there's an ancient banyan tree. And near the banyan tree, there's tributes to Shankaracharya, Madhvacharya, Ramanujacharya, Balavacharya, and so many great personalities who came to worship at that banyan tree. Because that is the place where Krishna spoke Bhagavad Gita to Arjun. And I was sitting under that banyan tree. And someone gave me a little tiny Bhagavad Gita. Gita Press, have you seen? It's just this big. The whole 700 verses of Bhagavad Gita. And for someone like me, that was quite convenient. So I was sitting under the tree and I was praying Krishna, this is where you speak Bhagavad Gita. Please speak to me and clarify how I'm supposed to see all these things and what I'm supposed to do about it. And I read one particular verse, the one I just quoted, that the Supreme Being appears again and again for these essential reasons. And therefore we find wherever the essence of these principles are, that is true dharma, which is the essence of all the true great spiritual paths and religions of the world. And when I met my beloved guru, Srila Prabhupada, I read something else that was very special. This was when I was in Vrindavan. I actually heard him speak this. That the, the Supreme Being descends to this world to annihilate ignorance, reestablish true principles of dharma, and protect the pious. But the Supreme Lord could do that through so many energies. But the special reason Krishna 
or Bhagavan descends personally is to attract the love of our hearts. And it was for this reason that on this particular day today that Krishna descended to perform such beautiful pastimes of love in relationship with loving devotees that it attracts our love. It opens our hearts to receive his grace. In the Gita, Krishna tells patram pushpam palam toyam that where there's sincerity, where there's dedication, where there's true devotion, samsidhyarhari toshyam. Krishna accepts that. And that is true success. Today is Saturday. Just last Sunday, I guess six days ago, I was at Kumbha Mela in a holy place called Nasik. It takes place every 12 years. And there on the banks of the Godavari River, on the full moon, 1.5 million people came to take their bath. Now this is not just a Hare Krishna exaggerated number. <laughs> this is actually what the government um, counted themselves. As I spoke to a police commissioner, he said 1.5 billion people are here today. And everyone's at the same place bathing. So it's quite interesting. But that's another discussion. <laughs> But it's actually very sweet. Even though I was watching, I was experiencing so many people crushing each other <laughs> and crowded together. And it was, it's the monsoon rainy season. Sometimes it was pouring rain. It was really, really hot. But everyone was so happy. Why were they happy? Not because of the weather, not because of any comforts for sure but because they were grateful. They were grateful to be in a place where they felt they would be blessed. And I was meditating on if we're grateful for the, for the potential blessing that is there with us, or for all the blessings that are there with us, and for the opportunity to receive in any external situations, we can actually be happy. Just last week, one of our dearest friends, Colini Davy, who lived very close by in Stuyvesant Falls, she passed away with cancer just a couple days ago. But even in her last stages, she was so happy because she was grateful. And in that gratitude, she could feel, she could feel Krishna's love. And she could recognize so much of other people's love. And that was so beautiful. And she could recognize that this love is beyond birth and death. And she departed from this world with a smile, knowing where she was going and who she was going to be with, and she was happy. Not far from this site is the Kalaram Mandir, where we were bathing at Ram Kund, is the house that Lakshman built for Sita and Ram while they were in exile in Nasik. It's also called Panchabati. And not far from there is a very special holy place that practically no one goes to. And you know what happens when practically no one goes to it? 
there's no shops that are set up. <laughs> so it's a very unique and rare holy place these days. It's a forest. And in the forest, it's very quiet, and there's just a quaint little temple with one little form in the temple. And that's the form of someone who lived there, a very special person who the Supreme Lord showed a really good lesson through. His name is Jatayu. And Jatayu was a bird, not just a regular bird, a vulture. And a lot of people aren't really attracted to vultures. But he was a great devotee during the time of Lord Ramchandra. It was there in Nasik that Lord Ram lived with Sita, the beloved feminine aspect of the Supreme. It was there that Ravana, a very envious, greedy, arrogant person, very immorally stole Sita away after he distracted Ram to be somewhere else. And as Ravana, who disguised himself as a holy man, just to get Sita's sympathy, then took her away, he had tremendous yogic mystic powers. He could fly in the sky. And he was flying in the sky, and he had a chariot, and he was going overhead, and he went right over Tadakate, where Jatayu was. And Jatayu heard Sita's voice, helpless. She was crying out, Jatayu, Jatayu. I'm being abducted. I'm being dragged away by this Ravana. Please help me. And then she said, Jatayu, you're so old. There's nothing you can do to help me. Don't try to fight with him. Just tell Ram what happened to me. When Jatayu saw the tears and the, and the cry of Sita, he couldn't stand there and do nothing, even though he knew he really didn't have a chance. And first, with his words, he challenged Ravana. First, he spoke quite politely, telling him what dharma is and how you are transgressing dharma and you will have to pay. But Ravana ignored him. Then he became very strong and started calling him a coward and all kinds of other condescending names. And Ravana ignored him. Then Jatayu flew up and attacked Ravana. And they had a fight. In Ramayana, there's graphic description of this battle between the two. Jatayu really had no trace of the strength of his opponent, but he was so committed and from his heart um, feeling compassion for Sita's condition that he actually started defeating Ravana. He was beating him. This baby is definitely listening carefully. <laughs> because he's, he may have intuition of what's about to take place. But after some time, you know, Ravana had to put down Sita and fight and fight with all of his strength. And when Jatayu, because of his age, he was so tired, Ravana saw his opportunity. Instead of giving him time to rest like a fair fighter, he took a sword and He cut off both of the wings of Jatayu. And Jatayu fell to the ground, profusely bleeding, dying. And Sita ran up to him, herself crying. 
and she embraced the dying bird. And she cried out to him, Chitayu, there's no one I could love more than you. You were willing to give your life and even die to protect me. Your love is unconditional. It's unmotivated. My heart is yours. I could never repay you. And then Ravana grabbed Sita and dragged her away. Sometime later, Ram came. I'm really summarizing. <laughs> and Ram saw just blood all over the place. He was looking for Sita with Lakshman. And he saw Jatayu laying there. And Jatayu told Ram what happened. The Supreme Absolute Truth, Sri Bhagavan, placed the head of Jatayu on his own lap and embraced him. And he said, Jatayu, there is no one more dear to me than you. On this very day, I give you this promise that you will attain the ultimate perfection of liberation. We will to be together for the rest of eternity in loving relationships in the spiritual world. That is my promise. And Jatayu, looking up in the beautiful face of Sri Ram, in his beak mouth, chatting Ram, 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 gave up his life. When he passed away, Sri Ram cried. He said, there is no loss greater than this in my life. The departure of Jatayu is causing more pain to my heart than the loss of my own father, Dasara even more than my own beloved Sita being taken away. Because he was willing to give his whole life for my beloved Sita. And Ram himself, with Lakshman, collected wood and performed the last rites for Jatayu. And then they went to the river Godavari, the exact same place we all bathed. Kumbha Mela. And Ram offered oblations. He offered holy water for the pure liberation of the soul of Jatayu. <coughs> A little later, we know the well-known story of Hanuman. The celestial divine devotee in the body of a monkey. And for the same purpose, with the same mission as Jatayu, he was trying to bring Sita back to Ram. He jumped over an ocean. He went to Sri Lanka. He met Sita. He gave Ram's message to Sita. He pacified the heart of Sita. He burned the city of Lanka. <laughs> he fought gallantly later. And Ram embraced him in a place called Maliavanta, in what is now Hampi, Kishkindakshetra. When Hanuman gave Ram the message <coughs> of what he saw, just like Jatayu gave his message, Ram embraced him. Lord Ram told Hanuman, I have nothing within my powers to give you, to repay you for your love, for your devotion, for your sacrifice. All I have is myself. I give you myself forever. And then Lord Ram embraced Hanuman. 
So from an external perspective, Jatayu failed. He fought a battle to bring Sita back, and he lost that battle. He lost it terribly. Sita was gone. And Hanuman was a complete success. He won. But for Ram, they were both victorious equally. And he embraced both of them with all of his heart. Because you see in this world, and Gita tells this, these dualities are always there. Success and failure, victory, defeat, honor and dishonor, happiness, distress, pleasure, pain, health, disease, birth, death. Real victory, whatever the external outcome is, is our devotion, our intention. If we do the best we can do with integrity, with love, and the Lord, if Ram is pleased, that is our success. And in this way, it doesn't matter whether we're small or big, rich or poor, strong or weak, Anuman or Jatayu. No one is barred, denied the right to be a complete success in life. If we simply according to our capacity, live with devotion. The same principle was so beautifully um, repeated again and again in all the holy scriptures of the world. When Krishna was just a little boy, actually he was born, we were describing last night, but it was really late. <laughs> and as I was speaking, I was hearing stereo snoring of <laughs> some of you. <laughs> so I may repeat a little of it because you probably didn't hear anyway <laughs> if you were here. But Krishna was, appeared in this world in the most desperate environment. His mother and father, Devaki and Vasudev, were in a prison, an underground prison with shackles and chains around them, and they had been there for years. But they never gave up their faith. They never gave up their hope. They knew in their heart of hearts that they were chosen by God to be the instruments of his grace into the world. And by the dint of that faith and that willingness, Krishna became their child at midnight in the darkness of a prison cell. He gave ultimate light in a darkest situation. He gave ultimate hope in a hopeless situation. And then he was brought to Gokul across the river Yamuna, which was one of Shamdas's favorite places. He had a house there in Gokul for many years. When Krishna was just a little child, he just learned how to walk and he was running around. One day, a very elderly lady, she had no education. She just lived in the forest. She was really financially poor. And she somehow or other survived by just collecting some fruits in the forest and filling a little basket and bringing them to villages and saying, please buy my fruits. 
So she came to Gokul and she cried out, I have fruits. Does anyone want to buy them? And <coughs> Gopal or Krishna, he heard her. And in those days, there wasn't money. There was no such thing as rupees 5,000 years ago. They would barter. So he just got some little wheat grains and filled his tiny little hands to give the wheat grains to that lady for some fruit in exchange. And he came running, running, running. And then when he approached her, because his hands were so tiny, like little lotus flowers, all the fruit grains fell out. There was only like one or two um, wheat grains. And he said, give me fruits. And she looked in his little hand, and there was just like one grain. And then she looked at his face, and it was so beautiful. It was so charming. It was so full of affection. She just wanted to make this boy happy. It didn't matter what, any material external situations. And she took as much fruit as she, he could possibly carry. She filled his hands, she filled his arms, and his little arms were going like this, and she piled up all these fruits, and he smiled at her. And that smile enchanted her heart. It awakened such love. And then Krishna ran away. The best part of the story. <laughs> She just wanted to make Krishna smile again. Ananda Mayobhyashat, there's no greater happiness than feeling God's love. Because that love awakens our love when we receive it. So she, she picked up her basket and she ran into the forest to get more fruits to give Krishna, to make him smile again. When she put her basket down, she went to f collect some fruits. <laughs> and when she had the fruits, she went to put them in the basket. But something she didn't even notice, she was so enthusiastic, is her basket was completely overflowing with the most precious jewels. Kind of like jewels. <laughs> Diamonds and rubies and emeralds and lapis lazulis and sapphires and, and gold and silver. But not just the jewels of this world, celestial jewels. I mean, she would have been a millionaire. And those jewels all manifested in the basket as soon as she gave Krishna the fruit. But she was so excited to get more fruit, she didn't even notice. And when she did notice, what would you do? Think about it. Now you had the most precious jewels. She just dumped it on the ground <laughs> as if it was completely worthless. Because she couldn't bring more fruits to Krishna as long as there was jewels in her basket. And she just filled it up with fruits and ran and just left the jewels behind. And she went back and called, Gopal, Gopal, I have more fruits for you. And Gopal came running and took them and smiled. And she never had to go. It's not that she went back to find the jewels again. <laughs> Premadan. She received the ultimate treasure. The treasure of Ananda, of divine ecstasy, of praying, of ecstatic love. She was experiencing Krishna's love through his smile. And her love, not the love of her mind, of her senses, the very love of her soul, her Atma, which is infinite and undying, that love awakened. And she was swimming in it. She was drinking it. She was tasting it. That's real treasure. She was uneducated. She just gave Krishna some fruit, like Jatayu, <coughs> like Hanuman, 
She just wanted to please her beloved. And that was the ultimate success of her life. In Srimad Bhagavatam, there's another story. Well, when Krishna was a little older, living in Vrindavan, <coughs> he was with his friends. And one day, as they were sitting together near the banks of the river Yamuna in the forest, his friends called out, O oh Krishna, O oh Balaram, we are, we are so hungry, we haven't eaten all day. And you are always merciful and kind to your devotees, so please fulfill our hunger. So Krishna smiled. He said, close by, there are some Brahmins, some very high learned priests who are performing a yagya or a sacrifice. And right now, it's a very good time for them to give in charity. And they have so much food there. Ask, their, ask them for some food. And if they don't give to you, tell them that Krishna and Balaram have sent you and they're hungry. So the little boys went there. And the Brahmins were doing their oblations and they were chanting mantras and chanting hymns and reciting incantations and they did everything with such precision and they had so many disciples who were helping them and the little boys they bowed down to the Brahmins and said you are like the gods of the earth because you are so close to God But God's hungry. <laughs> Krishna's hungry and he's nearby in the forest. Please, he sent us to get some food for him. And we know it's a very, very special good time to give charity. So give us some of the food. We see you have so much. Do you know what the priests did? They just carried on with their rituals. They completely ignored and neglected the children thinking we are doing something so important. Why should we waste our time for some children? And the kids were really disappointed, the little gopas. And they <laughs> went back to Krishna with their heads down. They felt they failed. <laughs> but Krishna smiled. Not only did he smile, he laughed. He said, don't be discouraged. I sent you to be a beggar. And the nature of begging is sometimes people give you and sometimes people don't give you. You can't be attached. They did it for his pleasure, so they were completely successful. But then Krishna said, their wives, they're at home. They're my beloved devotees. Go to them. But don't tell them I'm hungry because that will break their hearts. Just tell them I'm here, and they'll automatically bring food. So the little boys went, and the Brahmins, the, the ladies were at home, and they said, Krishna and Balaram, but they couldn't contain themselves. They said, Krishna and Balaram, they're nearby in a pasture, in a forest, and they're very hungry. These ladies were so excited. Their hearts were thrilled. It was the ultimate highlight of their life. They could do seva for Krishna. The interesting thing is this. Shukadev Goswami describes it in Srimad Bhagavatam. They never met Krishna. They never saw Krishna. But since Krishna was born, when they were still quite little, <laughs> they would go to the bazaar or to the village market to buy flowers and to buy fruits. And the gopis who were selling the fruits, they were always talking about Krishna. And just by hearing about him, hearing of his beauty, hearing of his qualities, hearing of his activities,
activities, hearing of his love, they completely sharanagati. They surrender their hearts, their body, their minds, their words, their lives to Krishna. 24 hours a day, their hearts were burning with love for Krishna and how much they wanted to see him and serve him. And Krishna, who's in their hearts, Ishwara Sarvabhutanam Hridesya Janatishtati, was receiving all of their love within their hearts. And here he was now, innocently calling them to come. So they took baskets and filled them with the best foods. There were four types of foodstuffs that the Bhagavatam describes, and they filled it and filled it higher and higher, and they picked it up and went out to the forest and told the gopas, please tell us where they are, where Krishna is. And the husbands and the fathers and the sons and the daughters and everybody, they said, you can't leave. You can't just go out into the forest like this. We need you here. They forbade them, and they were very angry. And you know what the ladies did? They didn't even look at anyone else. They just left. Krishna tells the conclusion of Bhagavad Gita, abandon all varieties of dharma and just surrender to me with love. I will protect you. They personified this. They were so excited. They were so ecstatic with the opportunity to serve that all the challenges and opposition to them it was insignificant. And when they came to a particular clearing in the forest near the Yamuna River, for the first time in their lives, they saw Krishna, who they've been meditating on and chanting and singing secretly in their hearts for their whole lives, practically. They saw him. And Shukadev Goswami gives a beautiful description of what they saw. His complexion was blue like a monsoon rain cloud. His eyes were like fully blossomed lotus flowers. His lips were bright like the bimba fruit. His nose like a sesame flower. There was a beautiful peacock feather in his hair. And that hair was cascading and circling around his beautiful cheeks. He had a wonderful garland that extended below his knees, made out of very fragrant, multicolored forest flowers. And while he was playing with his friends, he had different colored minerals that was rubbed on his body. But most <coughs> of all, he had lilies over each of his ears, and he smiled upon them. Mm. That smile was the ultimate perfection, the ultimate destination, the supreme liberation of their lives. Krishna smiled upon them. Krishna, ex he extended the infinite, absolute love that's the source of all love fully into their hearts, through their eyes, by his smile. And they just stood there with their baskets of food. <laughs> and through their eyes, they took this beautiful darshan, or sight of Krishna, into the very core of their hearts and embraced him. And Krishna embraced them. And they were crying in happiness. And Krishna was so happy. And then Krishna spoke. He said, thank you for bringing this food. Please sit down. <laughs> it's so nice you came. You risked everything. You abandoned all 
difficulties and overcame all challenges just to come to feed me. This is the perfection of knowledge and wisdom, the perfection of all austerities, the perfection of all yogic processes. It's unconditional, unmotivated, uninterrupted love. <coughs> this is what you have. I'm forever pleased with you. Thank you. But now you should go home because you have so many duties in your home. You have children and relatives and, and all kinds of other things you do. So you have fulfilled your purpose. You brought me food. Please go home. They started to cry. They said, oh, Gopal, don't make us go home. We never want to go home again. <laughs> we want to remain in the forest with you forever. You don't have to let us be gopis or intimate, loving associates of you. Just let us be near you. Just to collect some flowers and fruits and roots and give them to your devotees for your loving service. And maybe we'll even collect some of the Tulsi leaves so that they can place upon your beautiful feet. But let us stay. Besides that, everyone's angry. They won't let us back home. Would you like to hear Krishna's reply? Oh. It's very important. He said, you should know that one does not attain me through physical proximity with me. But one can cultivate love for me and experience love for me through hearing about me through seeing the beautiful form of me in the temple, through meditating upon me, through chanting my holy names and chanting my glories and chanting my, my teachings. In this way, within the core of your hearts, I will be with you always, and you will feel my love and I will feel yours. And I will arrange, because I'm in everyone's hearts, I will arrange they will accept you back home. So then they returned. And as they were returning home, do you know what Krishna did? He got all that food that they brought, and with his own hands he served all of his friends. And made them so happy, because it was really good food. <laughs> And after he served everyone to their full satisfaction, then he himself ate. This is an important principle. Bhakti means seva. It means to serve with love and devotion. Even the supreme, even Bhagavan, finds the greatest joy serving with love and devotion. He was happier serving his devotees than they were with serving him. I mean, than he would be if they were serving him. This is the reciprocation of love. God loves to taste the sweetness of his devotees' love, and the devotees love to taste the sweetness of God's love, and they're both expressing their love through seva. And this is an infinite, eternal pastime of the soul and the supreme soul. So as Krishna was eating their food, they returned home, and they were so full of light and so full of happiness. Anyone who saw them were thinking, anyone who saw them were practically liberated. And the Brahmins who rejected the opportunity to serve Krishna realized in the light of the love of their wives how ignorant they were. We are so expert 
in the knowledge of scriptures. We can recite in Sanskrit tens and thousands of verses. We know how to perform rituals with absolute precision. We know how to perform yagyas. We have so many students, so many disciples, so many people are bowing to us. But the whole purpose of all of this is to please Bhagavan. And Bhagavan gave us the chance to please him. And we were so immersed in our rituals, <coughs> we completely neglected him. But these ladies, they don't know all the rituals, but they knew the essence. And they pleased Krishna. They're perfect and we're fools. <laughs> to hell with our rituals. To hell with our high birth. To hell with all of our disciples. Krishna was hungry and we didn't give him any food. <laughs> but our wives, they are perfect. There's a beautiful analogy of a crane. Not the modern day crane that picks up stuff, but the bird. <laughs> it's a big white bird. And this, this analogy was spoken, it's in the scripture, it was spoken by one of the greatest saints of history around the year 1150. And he was giving this analogy. That the crane stands on one leg in a stream of water and he's looking down and he sees so many little tiny fish passing by. They pass, he just watches. Hundreds and hundreds of little fish swim by him, he just watches. Thousands of little fish pass and he watches. And then a big fish, <laughs> he eats it. No, I'm not promoting eating fish. <laughs> Cranes eat fish, that's their nature. But the analogy is that in this world we have such a tendency to be distracted by little things. And there's so many little things. So many little things to be in anxiety about, so many little things to get angry about, so many little things to get envious about, so many little things to get arrogant about, so many little things to just be distracted with. It's unbelievable how the mind could cling to those things. You know, somebody says something, so what? Your soul is eternal, you live forever, and somebody says something, why should you be disturbed by that? You know, it's going to come and go. In, in, in a couple of years, you won't even remember it. You're so... <laughs> so, so many little fish are passing in our lives. And we're so distracted. Why? Because we're not focusing on the, on the real big purpose of life. We're not looking at the whole picture. If we focus on our goal in life, on the real big issue that will really satisfy us, that will really liberate us, then the small things don't bother us. But if we're not focused on what's really important, then the little things will disturb us endlessly. And what is that big thing? the opportunity to awaken our love for God or for Krishna within our life. The opportunity to please Krishna, the opportunity to be an instrument of Krishna's compassion in whatever we do, whoever we are, with whoever we're with. Those are big things. And those, we are connected to that real big, treasure and blessing that's within us to focus on that through satsang 
through association with people who actually remind us and who are trying to live that way or even who are living that way. And through our sadhana, our spiritual practices, hearing, hearing the philosophy, hearing the pastimes, hearing the teachings, and chanting the names and glories. Through our meditation, through our true yoga, these are all ways of keeping focused on the big fish, on what's really important. And then we could let all the endless little distractions that will inevitably come. If we're waiting for all the distractions to go away, we will wait forever. There's no excuse. Sharanagati means like the Brahmin's wives, like Jatayu, like Hanuman. Now is the time. What is my purpose? Who am I? Who is Krishna? Janmastami is when Krishna descends to attract our hearts and attract our love. And when we open our hearts, we receive his love. Kali Kale Namarupe Krishna Avatar. And in this age of Kali, Krishna is especially coming to appear within our heart. It's like he appeared within that prison cell 5,000 and some years ago to Devaki and Vasudev. Our heart is kind of like that. Krishna will appear within that heart and give light and give love and give eternal peace and eternal <laughs> happiness. And our hearts can open when we sincerely, with heartfelt gratitude, chant this beautiful mantras. <laughs>